Father God, we know in a room filled with different stories, different backstories, different histories. There's a lot of fighting that's been going on. And I know in this room right now, there's some that have been fighting that want to give up. Give them a sense of peace, Lord. That's exactly what they should do. Give up on the fight that they've been fighting. And let you do the rest. You are a strong tower. Immovable. But move our hearts in your calling. Help us to know where we belong, and that is in your strong tower, Lord, covered by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning. Well, thank you, four of you. I appreciate that. It's awesome. You're alive. I love it. So I want to talk to you. Uh, today's sermon is going to be super practical and super simple. And I hope you walk away with something that you will be able to actually start to implement in your spiritual walk. But I want to start with a question. What makes something tempting? Now, whatever this group over here might be tempting, you might be tempted with something, and this group over here might be tempted with something totally different. What makes something tempting? So we asked this question years ago when I used to oversee the 7th and 8th graders. We had this little group that would meet on Friday nights that we called it Teen Talk. Has anybody here ever been to a Teen Talk? Few of you suffered those consequences of going to those. So in that group of Teen Talk, these 7th and 8th graders, we wanted to ask the question, what makes something tempting? And so you in 7th and 8th grade, you have to do everything dramatic, right? So, so we pulled out a table and we had all these different items on the table. And we would ask the kids if they were tempted by some of these items. And so we had a hammer. And we had a little note card. And we said, would you be tempted to take this hammer and whack your hand with it? No, no, no. And then we'd go to this side and say, okay, would you be tempted to take this cup of apple cider vinegar and drink it in one gulp? No, no, no. And there's always one kid. You know who they are. You went to school with them. It was like, in the back, I'll do it. Uh, and then, you know, as a pastor that's supposed to be mature and responsible, that was tempting. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And then, and then they'd come over here, and there'd be other different items. We, had, we even had a bowl of, I can't remember whether it was dead cockroaches or crickets. Would you be tempted to stick this cockroach on the end of your tongue for 10 seconds? No, we wouldn't do that. And then... Out of the curtain came around a couple of young ladies that had a huge pan of homemade brownies covered with, with 
chocolate syrup and sprinkles and it just glistened and you could smell it coming through the curtain and they came around and we said, would you be tempted to eat some of these brownies? And the kids went wild. They were high-fiving each other, jumping in the air. One kid in the corner is banging his head against the wall. Yeah! And they're going nuts before sugar. And by the way, this is a long time ago when kids got hyped over little things like that. This is before smartphones. Yeah, I remember those days. And it's so pumped up over brownies. Now, here's what they didn't know. I had a group of girls. I'll name one of them. Pastor Barb McCoy's daughter, Lauren. And I had Lauren McCoy and her little entourage make special brownies. Now, when you hear about special brownies, don't go there. All of you are like, what did Pastor Mark say? It wasn't those. Shame on you for thinking that at church. But it was another type of special brownies with certain ingredients. And in those ingredients, I said, girls, I want these brownies to be beautiful. I want them to be enticing, but make them disgusting inside. And they went all out. They put cayenne pepper, garlic salt, Thai pepper, all sorts of the most onion flakes. I mean, it was, it was crazy what they did. Oh, I think illegal maybe. And, and so they did this pan and they're like, okay kids, if you are tempted, to have a brownie, one at a time, you can walk out this room and you each can have a brownie. Most kids would go through, grab a brownie, bite it, take one little bite and go, that's nasty, and throw it away. And that was what all of them did except one. We had one come through, and I won't describe any details because I don't want him to be identified, um, but he came through and he's like, can I have two brownies? Uh, sure, you have two brownies. Go ahead. You know, that was my mature side. Go for it. The two brownies are great. Same kid that goes, I do it. So it's the same kid. Just walks on through, and he grabbed the brownie. It was a wedge about this big. He threw that thing in his mouth, and I don't think he chewed. You could see it go down his jugular. Just bloop, like a whole square. Bloop, right down. And then he went for the second brownie, and he took the second brownie and took a bite. Hunk, hung, 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 hung. And then something registered. His brain finally caught up to what his palate was doing. He dropped the brownie on the floor. He started raking brownie crumbs out of his tongue like this. As he ran to the bathroom, turned on the sink and started doing this with water. And I felt horrible sort of. Because the brownie chunks went up into his cheeks, some of it got into his eye, cayenne pepper, and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, he was in excruciating, funny pain. And, and so he comes out, and what a lesson that was. What a lesson, because listen to this. The reason that sin is tempting is because on the surface, it's always enticing. Do you think Satan's going to come up with you with a hammer and saying, hey, are you tempted to whack your own hand with a hammer? Every sin that you are tempted by is always enticing on the surface. 
And those kids had this crazy lesson of realizing that, oh, so it does, it is enticing. And then when you get into it, there are some serious consequences and they were seeing it right in front of them. And what a reality check for all of us. Because temptation usually revolves around a couple of questions. What do I lack that I think I need? Think about that one. What do I lack that I think I need versus is Jesus enough? Or how about this one? What will elevate my status, my ego, and my pride versus what will elevate Jesus? Those two questions all revolve around all of our temptations. What do I think I lack that I need, that I think I need? And what will elevate my, my status, my ego, my pride versus is Jesus enough? Versus what will I do to elevate Jesus? So any temptation that distracts you from Jesus is a temptation that pulls you away from Jesus and will eventually bring you into a life of sin. So think about as we talk today, what are the things that tempt you that pull you away from Jesus? What are the things that distract you that pull you away from Jesus? If you are in the midst of a life of sin that it's cyclical and you can't get out of it, I want to talk to you about that today as well. And so how do, hopefully we can answer this question, how do we avoid, how do we avoid giving into temptation? Is that even a possibility? And so we're going to look at the life of Jesus and um, we're going to try to look at how did Jesus avoid temptations? And you're going to see that Jesus was tempted way more than just the three times that is talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at that and see what was his example and should we follow that example. All right? So just a backstory. Jesus, Pastor Juan, back in uh, uh, second week of October, talked about Jesus' baptism. Jesus has just been baptized. He hears this booming voice of his father. And his father looks down, and apparently it was a thunderous voice that other witnesses heard because it's recorded. And it says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And immediately he goes to where we're at today. And that's in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus full of the what? Holy Spirit. I've said this before. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you're full of something. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to go back to that every single time, acknowledging that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, everything that he did. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, because he's full of the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. Into the wilderness for what purpose? This is mind-blowing. The Spirit of God, 
filled Jesus, led him to the wilderness for what purpose? Let's look. Verse 2. Where for 40 days, this is why it was more than just three temptations, he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Now, here's what we don't read in regular NIV. So when you're reading Greek, ancient, biblical, classical Greek, there's all these endings to these words. And each of those endings illuminate a little bit more of the truth of Scripture. And so in the, the, the verb temptation, there is an ending to that word that it should read like this where for 40 days he was continuously tempted by the devil, meaning the temptations came in as an ongoing barrage, an ongoing attack, without ceasing type of attack on Jesus. All satanic power was dedicated for the destruction of God's purpose and plan of salvation in those moments of those 40 days that Jesus was fasting. Only two people had fasted for 40 days. And that was Moses and Jesus. And, and at the end of all of that, it said he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, Jesus was what? Was what? Hungry. That was, that's, that's a human thing, right? So we know that Jesus was human and God because he felt hunger pains. So whenever you feel hunger pains, like right now, whenever you feel those hunger pains, know that Jesus felt those as well. And so it goes on that Jesus was fully God, fully human. And understand that in becoming a man, Jesus chose to diminish deity by allowing himself to have the effects of humanity. And in doing this, he was susceptible to temptations. Paul talks about this in Hebrews. He was tempted in every way that you were tempted. He could relate to whatever you're being tempted. And for 40 days, he was nailed with all sorts of temptations. Again, I don't know why we end up with just three, but for 40 days. So here Jesus is being tempted, and we read about it in verse, verse uh, 3, chapter 4, verse 3 in Luke. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, and this is sort of annoying because in Greek um, it is a completely different. It's not a question. It's Satan is not questioning whether he is the son of God. He's actually challenging him, prove yourself as the son of God, because it should be read like this. Since you are the son of God, it's so different when you read in the Greek. Since you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Go ahead. I challenge you. What was so tempting about bread? Was Jesus on a keto diet? Ah, oh, no thank you. I'm on a low carb. I'm annoying people. I'm on a low carb today. Aren't you impressed? No, I'm not. And so... Satan is, is, his slithery whispers are saying, you know you're hungry. I can hear your tummy growl. Go ahead. 
turn that stone into a big, fluffy, buttery loaf of sourdough. Do it, Jesus. You know you can. Do it. And Jesus refused to perform an act that was inconsistent with God's purpose. Isn't that crazy? I'd be too weak if I had that power. Sourdough, rye, whatever other carb loaf. Easy. Good decision. I'm hungry. Jesus did not want to be inconsistent to the purpose of his father. So how did Jesus avoid giving into temptation? Number one, full of the Holy Spirit, he quoted the word of God. Full of the Holy Spirit, he quoted the word of God. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus trusted God to provide for his physical needs. And full of the Holy Spirit, he used the word of God to expose the devil's deceit. But Satan doesn't give up. We go to the second um, the second temptation, and, and in verse 5, it says that the devil led him up to a high place. Now, the highest place in this whole region was 10,000 feet. That's the highest place in the whole region. That's the tallest tip of the tallest mountain in that area was 10,000 feet up. So I don't know if they went up there, but it was kind of weird because it says immediately, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world were shown to Jesus. So the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. I want you to notice real carefully the power that Satan has here on earth. He shares it. We're, we're, you're going to realize that, oh, he's got that power. Jesus has got that power. I mean, Satan has got that power. Watch what happens. He says, and he, Satan, said to him, Jesus, I, Satan pointing to himself, I will give you to Jesus. I will give you all their authority, all those kingdoms, all the nations, and their splendor. I will make you king of the earth. I can do that. Satan says that. I can do that. And it has been given to me to do that. I have the authority to give it to you, he says. And I can give it to anyone I want to. Satan's not describing a democracy. He can give power to anyone he wants to. And he's throwing that in Jesus' face right now. And he says, all you have to do is just worship me. That's it. You can have all of this. All you have to do is just worship me. What's the temptation? Here's the temptation. It was for Jesus to bypass the cross. Simple as that. Jesus, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. Just worship me and you will have all the splendor. You'll be in charge of all things. Just worship me. How did Jesus avoid giving in to temptation? Again, full of the Holy Spirit. He uses the word of God as a counterattack measure 
of whatever temptations were coming his way. And so he answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. Jesus emphasized that he would obey God regardless of what it cost him. Regardless of what it cost, I will choose to obey God. I will face the suffering. I will face the death. That's what I choose because it's obedience to God regardless of the consequence. But again, Satan never gives up. And third time, he, the devil, in verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. We are told that the highest point of the temple was 400 feet up. Scared of heights. But anyways, they were up there, 400 feet. So then Satan says, since, I changed that by the way, Greek privilege, since you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And look what Satan does. He, oh, he's so sneaky. He's so sneaky. Because what he does is he uses Jesus' tactic. Well, if you're going to say it is written, I'm going to say it is written. I know the Bible too, you know. And Satan starts quoting the Bible. Go ahead, go jump, jump. And here's why you should jump, Jesus, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Just jump, Jesus, jump. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jump, Jesus, jump. The devil uses that tactic that Jesus did. He quotes, he actually quotes Psalm 91, but he misquotes it. He takes it out of context. I want to say something because maybe some of you have been guilty of this. If someone quotes scripture and they are not full of the Holy Spirit, what they are doing is they are weaponizing the Word of God. And they are weaponizing the Word of God for their own agenda, for their own manipulation, and for spiritual abuse. And that's happened a lot, sadly, in churches and families. And so just know that when somebody's quoting scripture, their character needs to align with the character of Jesus, or you run or shut them down. Because things will always be misquoted because that is when somebody weaponizes the word of God. Be careful with that. That's exactly what Satan did here with Jesus. But Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit what does he do? He counteracts it with scripture. And he says, ah, ah, ah. he quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do it. So no, I'm not falling for that. Satan's purpose was to provoke Jesus into testing God by forcing God to prove himself. That was the temptation. How many times have we tried to force God to prove himself in our prayers? It happens a lot. 
So Jesus, again, quotes scripture and is victorious over and over and over again when Satan is attacking him with temptation. I love verse 13 because it says, when the devil had finished, he basically just like, oh, well, whatever. I can't, can't, can't get him now. When the devil had finished all this tempting, you actually, you want to know what that's translated to be? Every kind of temptation. What? Why does it say that? You probably find it in one of the translations. I personally stick to NIV. Uh, Not because it's the most accurate. I'm not going to get into that world with you. But I just stick to it. It's just a personal thing. I read all of them. But if I have a problem, go to Greek. And And then all this tempting... That's every kind of temptation. So when the devil had finished every kind of temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Satan is patient. He will wait you out. He, he can wait a decade. He can wait, a, he can wait for as long as he needs so that when you are at your weakest point and you're on the ground, that's when he comes behind and steps on you and steps on your throat. He's a dirty player, but he is manipulative, and he will wait you out until you're at your weakest moment. And that's what that means is for an opportune time. An opportune time is not when you're on the top of your game spiritually. It's when you're weak. In the meantime, he's going to pepper you with different types of temptations to see what sticks. This is what the devil does. So how did Jesus avoid giving in to temptation? Full of the Holy Spirit, he used the word of God to point out lie after lie after manipulation after deceit. Full of the Holy Spirit, he quoted scripture. It's pretty simple. So how do you avoid giving in to temptation? Well, it would seem to me that you should follow the example, we should follow the example of Jesus. It's just that simple, right? I told you it was going to be a simple sermon. Follow Jesus' example. Surrendering your life and everything about that you're holding on to to God, that's filling yourself with the Spirit of God, emptying yourself of self, and filling yourself with the Spirit of God, and then hanging on to every word that comes out of the mouth of God, with the Word of God, as your actual sword when you're talking about the weapons that we have, is we have a sword of the Spirit. It's our only offensive weapon. You don't go into battle unless you have an offensive weapon to hit back or shoot back with. That's the Word of God for us every time temptation comes. So there is power against the devil's schemes in God's infallible Word. I want to talk to you about God's infallible Word real quick. There is this crazy quote that Paul talks about to a young man named Timothy. It's found in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but in the very first part of that verse, verse 16, it says, all Scripture is God, what? Breathed. All Scripture, all, let's say a few parts of it, all Scripture is God breathed. Why did Paul use that language? So he takes that language, again, he's writing to the Hebrews, he's writing to the Jewish, to the Jewish mind at this moment here, and he's saying, he's saying, okay, listen, 
all the way back to creation. When God formed a man, however he formed a man out of what? Dirt, mud, sculpted him. And then when it was time to do what into the nostrils? He did what into the nostrils? (sighs) Blew into the nostrils of mud. And what did mud and dirt become? (sighs) DNA, cellular structure. Everything that's crazy about our bodies, it's just boom. Because of God's breath, mud became alive. He's using that same analogy here and saying, man, the infallible word has been God breathed, meaning it's alive. We can't take that for granted. It's alive. There is power behind it, which is why Jesus's artillery was quoting it. Jesus used it. Is it not good enough for us to? We have to believe that at some point in faith that there is power in God's word. So there's this crazy research that's been done by a doctor of education and a PhD that I just read as I was studying for this sermon I never heard of this before, but it's, it's found in the Center for, for Bible Engagement. And what they did is they took thousands of surveys from around the world. And they, they took these surveys and they all looked at gender and age and churches and beliefs and all of that and practices, common practices of what Christians do. And this one specifically stuck to Bible engagement. And so listen to what it summarizes. It says this, it quotes, summarizing, this is from the study, summarizing across all of the studies, we find that if a person who engages the Bible, engages means listening or reading, engages the Bible four or more times a week, their odds of giving into these temptations decreases. What? So in other words, an active Christian who reads or listens to the Bible at least four times a week, look what decreases. Look up on the screen. It says this. Anger issues drop 32%. Relationship issues drop 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Viewing porn drops 61%. Feeling spiritually bored, 60%. Having sex outside of marriage drops 59%. Gambling drops 45%. Gossiping drops 28%. Lying drops 28%. Overeating or mishandling food, overspending or mishandling money drops 20%. Neglecting family drops 26%. And feelings of loneliness drops 30%. Is that crazy? Just reading or listening to the Bible. This is what their research comes up. There is power in God's word. Man, you should all be saying, this is crazy amen, right? This is nuts. There is power in God's word. If if Satan had a tactic, what would he distract you from? He's going to distract you from reading the word of God, and he's going to distract you from prayer. If there was a tactic that he was going to, he's like, hmm, what could these little silly humans do to defeat me? Bible, prayer. He's going to do everything he can to distract you from those two things. There's power in God's word. 
Jesus overcame temptation by being full of the Holy Spirit, armed with the Word of God. I want to challenge you this week. Actually, sorry, I'm going to challenge you for the next eight weeks. Do you know that in exactly eight weeks, we are into 2024? Oh, what? I got things to do before 2024. You just got panicky, didn't you, Lisa, type A? So, so in eight weeks, I want to throw out an eight-week challenge. I would love to have every person and every child, even little Maven, every person, every child, parents, this is an awesome opportunity, by the way. Grandparents, awesome opportunity. To memorize one verse in the Bible a week for eight weeks. And it would be amazing if that was a New Year's resolution for 2024. But let's see where you get in eight weeks. Eight Bible verses until 2024. And guess what? Right now, in this moment, don't you love professors and teachers like this? We're going to do one of them. So all you have is seven. Aren't you excited? Yes! Come on! Yes! So we're going to memorize a scripture. One of my favorites because it shows the power of the Word of God when you embed the Word of God in your heart. It's found in Psalm 119.11. This is your first memory verse. And what we're going to do is you're going to see it up on the screen. We're going to read that out loud four times. And then after it goes off the screen, there's going to be a little hint where it's the first letter of every word in that text of Psalm 119.11. And then we're going to read it twice. And then that's going to go away, the hint, and then we're going to say it out loud twice with nothing up there. No cheating. Noah, I'm watching you, buddy. So here we go. You ready to read this out loud together? Four times. Here we go. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word. I have hidden. I have hidden. I sin against you. Very good. All right. It's going to disappear. Here it is. That's, don't try to say that word. Okay? It's not in Greek. That's the first letter of every word. This is a great way to memorize it, by the way, to take it with you. You learn it at home, you write it down, and you take it with you for the rest of the day to look at. Turn it into a prayer. Okay, two times. I have hidden. Again. Here's the big test. It's going to go away. Don't stress out. But I'm going to pick a person. Volunteer. All right, let's go. Here we go. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Volunteer. Way in the back row. Come on. Oh, you're too far. I'm too lazy. Here we go. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Someone over here. Come on. 
Oh, these guys. I don't know what to happen to Vadim. Vadim, you better not mess up. Here we go. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Come on, let's go. Seven more to go. Seven more to go. Seven more to go. That was yours for this week. You pick the rest. God's infallible word has power against the devil's schemes and lies. Use it as your offensive weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. Hide God's word deep in your heart so that when those things come, you can stand against it every single time from Satan. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over every single person here that they will embed the word deep in their heart so that when temptation comes, Lord, through the power of your spirit, you will surface that text that is there in their heart, in their subconscious, and you will bring it to life for it to be a powerful weapon against everything that the devil throws at us. There is power in your word, and we thank you for that, Lord. Help each of us be full of the Holy Spirit and full of your word and live by it. We pray this in your name. Amen.